Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Silvatis podcast. Today, I have um, Tado Newing, um, who is an osteopath, joining me today. And we're going to be talking about life beyond osteopathy. And that's what I'm really excited to hear about Tado's um, experience and his journey. So welcome, Tado. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Sylvan. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. I hope this helps as well. We can have an interesting talk about where we're at and where we're going, really. Absolutely. So we met whilst we were both students at BCom. I think you must have been in your fourth year when I was in my first. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So, so like, I graduated in 2016. Yeah. yeah. So you were sort of like on the way out when I was slowly emerging into this crazy world. Oh, yes. And I was thinking, oh, look what the first years have got them in, themselves into. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> No, it was great. I do, I do remember seeing you around a lot. I remember you doing a lot of Pilates and posting and I was yeah, following your posts as well. I was like, stealing oh, a couple of moves from you. <laughs> well, equally, you're pretty good at um, social media because you're a dancer. I am indeed. Yes, yes. Yeah. Been dancing for a while now. Yeah. And, and I want to ask been... you more about that a bit later and how yeah, sure. sort of that sort of intertwined into your practice and where you're at now, because some of the posts you have, they're, they're, you're really good. Ah, stop it. Uh, no, no it. but like you've gone to competition and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah we'll talk about that more whenever that topic comes up. But. Perfect. I'm going <laughs> to make a mental note for you. So what was your, so you graduated in 2016. Yeah. Um, what was your experience at BCom like? So if someone's not familiar with the acronym, it's the British College of Osteopathic Medicine. Medicine. Such a mouthful. <laughs> so... Uh, starting in 2012, uh, basically my mindset was I went straight from A-levels into university. To be fair, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. All I know, all I knew is I wanted to help people and uh, I'm into sports, you know. So my friend at the time, he went to Surrey Nescott um, College of Technology, which also offers osteopathy. I would just say it's not the greatest institution. So after applying there, I then realized, oh, I'm making a probably a big mistake uh, by applying here. So then I went to BCom because BCom, as well as uh, the other universities in London have the biggest reputation for osteopathy. And I thought, you know what, let's just dive straight into this and see, see what happens because it seems like a really interesting course. Um, if you really want to know about the neuromusculoskeletal system, and how to deal with it in terms of your knowledge and what you can do, then osteopathy is a really good course to do. Uh, throughout the four years, I would say it was pretty tough. I mean, anyone who did the course can agree with it as well, right? So, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure like the first two years was on par, if not harder than medical school, right? Because I, I remember uh, having a few medical students, uh, medical uh, friends who were doing it and they were saying it was not as bad as what we were doing to be fair. Why do you think that is then? Uh, it's interesting I think it's just the syllabus and the way they just chuck everything at you. I mean it's good because healthcare and the whole sector of healthcare is massive right when you look at the allopathic medicine route like the normal medical route there's so many different specialities just for the human body right so what we're trying to do we're trying to do all of that at the same time and it is quite overwhelming sometimes but the more I work in this field the more I realize yeah we don't have to be a superman at everything there's you know limits to our knowledge and it's about accepting that as well you know but otherwise I did really find the experience fun it was good and challenging you know when you got the grade you wanted that you work for is always a good you know feeling towards that tell me well. what that feeling's like <laughs> <laughs> so i was <laughs> i was gonna tell you <laughs> but yeah I, I mean i was privileged enough to not fail anything uh, because i always try to work hard uh but still i was my dissertation that was when mentally i was deteriorating and i was feeling like really down on it dumps but that's where your support group comes in talk to your friends talk to your families and you'll find a way out because 
I wanted to, as bad as it sounds, as it, when it got to the dissertation, my mindset was, oh, can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> I was Absolutely. Like, fuck it. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, fuck this, man. I'm just going to fail and do it next year. Um, and in my mind, that in that mindset, it was, it felt okay. But when I was saying it to other people, they were like, what? No, you can't do that. You can't fail. You've gone through almost four years already. You can't. Yeah, that's just the struggles, or inevitable struggles of university. But it's all about how we cope with the stress, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'm glad your friends or whoever you spoke to, you know, helped you through that period, because I can attest to everyone I know going through that as well. And if right, it wasn't right. for the friends at BCom and like, you know, family, Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm surprised you would have come back because I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> like if I failed something and I had to retake a whole year, and this is, you know, huge respect to people who have repeated a year. I don't think I would have the mental capacity to come back and redo that. Yeah. Year. Yeah. It's a hard knock on the ground, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just thinking like, oh, you know, this stuff, you know, and just push through kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you graduate from BCom. Yeah. Fantastic. And what, what, what happens after BCom for you? So uh, straight after BCom, I applied for the graduate clinic inside BCom, which was really cool because you know, the whole time we were getting supervised. And the next thing I know, I'm in the same room, but without any support. And actually, it was a really valuable transitional period for me uh, because, you know, it helped build my confidence up, helped me realize, well, I don't need to be so anxious uh, without, without anyone in the room. And it'll be okay, you know. So I worked there for about a year and a half. And in this time period, my, after about a year and a half, one of my friends, actually, this is where we can link up the dance thing, actually. One of my friends uh, asked me or told me about this really cool opportunity to compete in America. So it's uh, all I had to do was audition with this East London-based uh, dance group called Unity. Crazy audition. I had to audition like six hours, two times. Uh, oh, so tough. Wow. But I managed to get in. Uh, and I just, again, threw myself in the deep end so uncomfortable doing it, but I thought, you know what, this will be worth it, um, especially because my friend was going as well. So I ended up getting in, accepted into auditions, uh, trained for a good six months. I was only working part-time in the graduate clinic at this time, more focusing on the dance. And yes, went to America, um, had a great time. I mean, we didn't uh, win. Obviously, there's like 50, 60 countries competing in the same place and they're all top level. And, you know, we were just there to have fun, really, but really great experience. And what's that like as a dancer and having this huge background in, you know, biomechanics and anatomy and physiology, did that change how you approached sort of like your training or the way you, did you treat anyone else? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, Sylvan. So it, it actually, actually has benefited me in a couple of ways where osteopathy benefited my dance and my dance benefited my osteopathy. So how my osteopathy benefited the dance was the fact that, again, I knew the biomechanics, I knew a quality of movement and everything, and I tried to implement that in the way I move. Uh, but also people knew that as an osteopath, that there's not many of us, there's like 5,300 and something as of like last year or something. So whenever I say osteopath, they're like, oh, what's that? So, oh yeah, I deal with, you know, injuries, bad backs, etc. And I'm always the guy, I was always the guy in the team where everyone, you know, came up to. And it got so mad to the point where in the end I had to charge them, <laughs> even though they were my teammates. Good I was like, for guys, you. Like, <laughs> I had to charge them, uh, but it was really good. I mean, a lot of the times I realized in terms of manual therapy, there's a certain limit to how effective it is, you know, uh, I realize what gets the most results in a treatment is if you come across as confident and so in, in a way that reassures them and comforts them and gets them out of this mindset, everything is going to be, everything's going to get worse and, you know, in that mindset of catastrophizing. So once they're out of that mindset and they're on that positive mindset, you know, when, once you give them advice and exercise prescription, maybe 
a rub here and there just to reassure them. That is the most effective form of treatment for any manual therapist, I think. Obviously rehab as well, if needed. But yeah, it made me realize over time, the more I was doing manual therapy, the more I was like, how effective is this? <laughs> Compared to all of the other things I'm doing mm. and how unique is it? So one of the things for me, I came out of university, graduating osteopath thinking, oh yeah, I'm the shit, you know, there's only 5,000 of us, this is a great niche. And then basically after the graduate clinic, after America, I moved to a central London clinic um, where they were doing a lot of multidisciplinary treatments. So acupuncture, sports therapy, physio, osteo, and I had the privilege of actually working with all of these people. Uh, and that's where I realized, damn, like what I'm doing isn't really that unique. <laughs> mm -hmm. A sports therapist can do anything I'm doing just as well, right? So that's where, the, that's the moment where I had to let go of my ego as an osteopath, you know? Uh, I think, don't think there's any place for ego in this sort of healthcare sector because it's so massive. Everything we know, do we really know? Is it what we really know? Is it going to change in 10 years? <laughs> probably. Like there'll probably be a new paradigm shift. So every, now everything's like biopsychosocial model. What's it going right. to be like in a couple of years' time? Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so all the teachings in BCom, you know how it was all quite separated, you know, psychology here, biochemistry there. Afterwards, after I graduated, after I'm in practice, then I realized, oh, now I realize why they're teaching this. <laughs> that's such an important thing because I can attest to that. Everything's so segmented and you can't make those links whilst you're studying because you've got 17 other things and a Viva in two weeks. Exactly. And, you know, you've got a Form A coming and you can't mess that up because then it affects everything else. Yes, yes, exactly. So it's interesting and you're not the first person to say like, I'm going to just sit with everything after I finish and actually learn it. Right, right. That's it. So is it okay if I ask you questions as well? I'm just yeah, curious what it. you're doing this as well. Is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what are you doing at the moment, Sylvan? So I work in the NHS um, wow, as an okay. osteopath. Um, so I'm there full time and I'm also teaching Pilates. Um, so with everything going on, that's online. But okay. um, and I also lecture now. So I lecture at BCom. Oh, amazing. What are you doing? Yeah. So I teach, I teach the psychology syllabus as well. Amazing. That's yeah. Awesome, which is bro. why I, when you said, you know, the whole psychology element came into, came into play afterwards. I'm like, I absolutely agreed. And for me, I want to bring the osteopathy into the psychology a lot sooner. And that's the yes. whole benefit of having me there, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know, we can apply like reinforcement principles to exercise adherence and why aren't your patients doing their exercises? How exactly. are you bringing it across? And so that's the stuff that really gets me sort of going. Oh, that's amazing. I'm yeah. so glad to hear you're doing well for yourself. Um, yeah. In terms of the NHS, what role do you have in the NHS? What, what, yeah, what so I'm, I'm, a, I'm an osteopath. Yeah. Um, based in the physiotherapy department. Ah, oh, okay. So it's a little oh, different amazing. for them as well, because it's the first time they've had an osteopath in the department. So it's it's been a really interesting sort of um, learning curve for both, yeah. both of us. But now with COVID and everything, everything's sort of stalled. Oh, okay. But I do have a question for you, because you talked yes. about the grad clinic. Um, yes. But I wanted to ask you, what were your expectations sort of when you were graduating versus when you started working? Oh, in terms of expectations, it's an interesting one because I was just trying to trust everything I learned and go in there thinking, you know, just use whatever I know to help this person. Um, my initial expectation was, the was thinking I can fix everything or give advice or try to diagnose everything. Uh, then I, I quickly realized, okay, life is more complex than that. You know, patients are more complex than that. Sometimes you can't just get the answer like that. You know, especially when we're trying to transition from, you know, learning and going out of the room, taking time to discuss it to real life where it's like, you don't really have time to discuss it. Um, 
yeah, no, it was it was an interesting experience um, for me in the end. Yeah, and especially Greg Linick. Yeah, and what did you get out of having that multidisciplinary approach? You mentioned like what we yeah. do is not necessarily unique, although. Um, so, what did you actually get from them? What did you learn from the other? Yeah. Teachers? So uh, techniques, so different ways of doing mobilizations, and uh, well, adjustments. We were usually the ones teaching them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did work in a chiropractic clinic as well, actually. So the chiropractor did teach me a lot of adjustments. Um, as well because they have those are funky ways of doing it um yeah i would say it's more of a case of uh, even business wise as well you know how to retain patients or how to attract new patients um as osteopathic students unfortunately we don't really delve into that too much we you have to do your own reading um and what I realized is that chiropractors, they actually do delve into that during school, right? Which is why they're so much more popular, mm -hmm. even though what they're doing might not necessarily be as much better, right? Um, on another tangent, what I have realized is that one question that you probably get asked quite a lot is, what's the difference between a physio and osteo? Or what's the difference between osteo and chiro? And I always say, Okay, if you try to look at the differences, it's quite hard because there's actually more similarities than differences, all right? If you were to get the top physio, top osteo, and top chiro, they're probably doing the same thing, right? Exercise, rehabilitation, nutritional advice, you know, aware of the psychology of the person. Uh, and that's, that's the realism of it. I think if there was a way to combine all of these professions and make it one super big profession, That'll be amazing, but I don't think that will happen anytime soon. <laughs> no, I mean, we have enough governing bodies for that. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, as interesting as that may be. But so what did you get out of grad clinic and why did you do grad clinic straight after graduating? Ah, so uh, main reason was it was convenient, right? Because I was already used to the environment and there was a lot of anxiety going to a new place. Right. So this was just a nice transitionary period to get that. Um, plus I did grad clinic because, well, I just graduated, you know, I thought I need something uh, guaranteed where I know, I know I'll get accepted because they know me. <laughs> um, and just went from there really. Uh, there were a lot of difficult times, but there was a lot of gratifying times as well, you know, uh, but that having Gemma there as well, just to discuss everything was uh, really valuable too. Yeah. And how important do you think it is for like a new graduate to have some mentoring or someone that they can contact regarding like those difficult cases? Yeah, definitely. So important. Even if your mentor is, is not an osteopath uh, or some other healthcare professional, it's so important to have someone there as support. Um, as they say, even the governing bodies, they don't like osteopaths to be alone right they want us to connect to others as well and there's a really cool thing um i believe it's on the geosk website or the io website where they have the pillars uh, thing where you can if you don't have any if you're unsure of a certain uh, scenario you can post it on there on the forum and then people will just help you out see i did not know well. that existed um okay yeah you search um, up online pillars Okay, great. And so, you know, you, you do the grad clinic, you compete yeah. in America. Um, you talked earlier about the osteopathy informing your dance, but how did your dance inform the osteopathy? Right. That's a good one. That's a good one. So it's when we, when we do treatment, it's all based on touch and soft, right? So a really good example, obvious example is if a patient, your patient is laying on the table and you go to let's say, uh, do some harmonics. Harmonics is where you know, we rock back and forth um, just to help mobilize the area. So I can have a go, so they say this is their body. I can have it just go gently and do this. Or I can go, <laughs> right? So that's so obvious, but sometimes we have to be conscious of it to avoid it. And dance really helped me be conscious of my movement. So rather than even doing the movement like this, I can slow it down 
and be more smooth with it or you know different dynamics so i judge a dancer based on their consciousness of dynamics of movement you know so rather than just doing one certain energy you sort of change it up and maybe slow-mo or staccato or something like that but i guess that's how dance informed my osteopathy that's really interesting in did you ever have um sue as a teacher sue, yeah, yeah she's that amazing. reminds me so much of sue because when like everyone so sue i can't remember her last name she's gonna kill me sue um, cook. cook thank you um when she she taught us st and then i think we didn't have it for clinic but i think you did when she would ask for a model everyone would jump because her touch was so light but yet so right. effective <laughs> yeah. yeah she studied classical osteopathy as well isn't it yeah yeah no wonder yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and so you know did your were you always a dancer or did you get into it later um, so I got into it before university. Okay. Um, I actually originally got into contemporary dance uh, through A-level and like GCSEs. And then I quickly realized um, I like dance more as a social thing. And that's where the hip hop came in, you know. Um, as you know, there's the whole hip hop culture. And I, then I found some place in central London at Tro uh, Trocadero which is underground Piccadilly Circus, where it was a whole dance community. And that's just where I got into it, really. Um, and just went from there. But at the moment, I would say I'm quite on a chilled level. There was a crossroad where I had to take, right? Uh, there's my friends who wants to be professional dancers and make it to the top. And there's me, it was like, oh, you know, I still love healthcare. I still want to go in this route. So it was either one or the other because, you know, it takes a lot of, time and dedication to build one or the other right yeah, and i imagine uh, it's so, a stress yeah. on your body as well oh yeah <laughs> these stresses here and there definitely had to get my uh fair few share of treatments myself as well <laughs> and interesting that you talk about this sort of this parallel and this uh, this difference of journeys because you did that post beacon as well so tell me about what you're doing at the moment yes yes so uh, essentially, what I have decided is to relegate my position as an osteopath, right? Um, just based on my personal circumstances, I feel like I have lost a little bit of passion for it. I mean, I still respect the uh, profession. I respect everyone inside it. It's just me personally, where I felt like, oh, do I really want to have to keep on building and building and let's say if I want to move countries I have to start again you know <laughs> that was that was a big issue in my head so mm -hmm. I realized um, one of my mantras or values is to give back is to use my knowledge of you know anatomy uh, physics whatever and help others right and I, I could do that I could continue doing that as a radiographer so that's why I've chosen diagnostic radiography and um, there's a part of it where there's a certainty to it, right? So patient comes in, uh, you, you're told what area to scan, you scan it, thank you, bye. <laughs> if you know what I mean, as brutal as that sounds, but osteopathy is a lot more diverse, open, right? Sometimes you think, okay, is this working? We'll have to see based on your next uh, visit, etc. So there's the element of uncertainty, which gave me anxiety. <laughs> absolutely so what made yeah. you decide to go into diagnostic um radiography yeah so um, i actually looked at the list of all the allied health professionals um, so i actually went through all of them um thinking what what sparks in inside me you know i looked at physio i looked at occupational health um, etc and i chose diagnostic radiography because I just remember, remember one of the lectures, uh, lecturers teaching x-rays, MRIs, and I found it so cool. Like one of the coolest, uh, especially seeing the images of inside us, you know, uh, one of the coolest modules that we did. And figured, you know what? If I went through four years of hardcore study in BCom, you know what, an extra three years, I'm just gonna smash it, put my head down and just do it and just work my way towards the top. You know, I want to be a consultant radiographer, like just um, managing the department. 
and everything. So that would be awesome. That's amazing. So you've just started, you're in the first year of your degree, is that correct? I am indeed. Yeah. That's really exciting. And is it, it is. what you expected it to be? I know it's only like, what, a couple of weeks in? Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. I mean, it's all just the basic like, introduction to the human body introduction to physics or radiation and um, so it's just taking it slowly at the moment really but um, it's a weird one because like, I'm in my apartment now I used to live at, back at home with like nine other people <laughs> so now I'm in my own apartment by myself I just find myself like standing around like huh, what do I do now <laughs> but it, it's great because I have a lot more focus you know uh, so I'm just one of them ones and what's it like for you, having been a student, done this degree, worked out there in the real world, you know, yeah. paid taxes, all of that sucky stuff, um, mm -hmm. and then going back <laughs> to being a student again? <laughs> oh, you know, I was actually discussing this with a few of my friends. I was saying, you know, it's great being an adult. There's a lot of flexibility. Uh, when you come home from work, there's nothing else to do, right? <laughs> that was the best part. Uh, but... Uh, especially the last couple of months with COVID, my finances have been sort of all over the place. I've been surviving on the self-employment scheme, uh, the grant, which I'm lucky enough because I've been working for the last three, four years. Uh, but I felt sorry for all the new graduates who are self-employed, who did not have this history of all this grant money to come. And I was like, oh, that sucks for them. But even still, I was you know, kind of struggling on that. So what's it like coming back and being a student again? Because it's, yes. it's a complete shift. Like, so, so you have, yeah, you know, you yeah. used to have all this time in the evenings to do whatever you wanted, dance, whatever. And now how has that mindset shifted back yeah. for you? I think I feel less stressed. Definitely. Let me show you this cup I bought, especially. I'm an adult-ish now. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty much how I feel most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as serious as the adult life is, what I've come to realize recently is that we shouldn't just, we shouldn't take life too seriously. You know, we should be kids when we can, like you said, adult-ish is the way. I mean, really and truly, we're just a speck of dust <laughs> in this universe, isn't it? And if the earth is a speck of dust, then we are just a grain of like smaller than a uh, bacteria, bacterial cell, you know? So again, I come back to the whole point of this big ego where like, a lot of us naturally have, you know, oh, we're so important. Really and truly, yes, we are important to those around us. But um, the best way to, I think, be remembered is to give back, you know? Yeah. And uh, just keep a positive mindset, really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually less stressed, I would say, uh, being a student, you know, because I've been through it already. And it's a nice balance. Really. Yeah. And one thing you said earlier was, you know, about money, especially um, when you graduate. And this is something that I've wanted to talk to somebody about on here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you graduate and you have all these expectations of having full lists and, um, you know, you're going to mm. earn all this money because you've been poor for four years, essentially. Right, right. Um, I mean, not really, but hey. Um, and then it doesn't automatically happen that way. You're right. And so why do you think the money doesn't follow as you expect it to? That's the interesting one, actually. I mean, it really is dependent on your drive, your drive to attract these new patients. Um, it's dependent on the place that you like, you know, do you want, can you see yourself staying in the space and building a list? Um, I had that job. I didn't really want to stay in a graduate clinic for very long. You know, a year was good for me. Um, even in a central London clinic, having to be there for half seven in the morning and my boss, yeah, my boss, imagine he's just looking at me on the stairs, like, oh, like seven, I got there at like 7.28. He was like, oh, two minutes early. I said, He's just looking at me. I was like, you know what? I can't be bothered to be a part of this army camp. <laughs> yeah. And it's tough, especially in central London. I mean, it's tough everywhere, but I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I worked in a gym in central London where, you know, I had to wake up at five because I had to be at the gym by seven. 
There you go. Yeah. And it's a corporate setting and it's, it's, it's numbers driven. It was a lovely place to work. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed it. That's great. It's numbers driven at the end of the day, because it's a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? So it's it's always a fine balance of numbers and money and finance in terms of businesses and patient care and, you know, patient focused care, really. That is one of the issues I found in my chiropractic clinic that I worked in. I'm not going to name any names. No, we don't need to know. (laughs) We can just look you up on LinkedIn. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, one scenario that um, new fellow graduates might uh, come across is, uh, let me explain my scenario. So uh, a patient came in with sciatica, 43 years old. She wasn't exercising much because of the pain. And uh, essentially, I diagnosed her, treated her, and she actually got pain-free within two sessions, amazingly, right? She came back. She said, I can exercise now. I'm gonna, I went to the gym today. It was fine. I was like, wow, amazing. No worries. My mantra that I follow is, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, The most effective thing you can do right now is keep on exercising and keep that positive mindset. So I let her go. I only saw five minutes, you know, personally, I, I didn't actually charge her. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, it was a weird one. So I didn't feel the need to charge her when I didn't do anything, right? Then my boss comes up to me, he's like, Tato, what you did was wrong. You know, you shouldn't have done that. You know, I'm sure, like, you should have kept her as much as you could. I'm sure, you know, everyone's got tight calf. You should have just massaged her calf. <laughs> and this, in this moment in time, I was like, oh, I can't. I can't because that's just, she doesn't need it, you know? <laughs> so that, that was my conundrum really. And that's where I sort of lost passion in terms of, you know, trying to get that balance of patient-focused care and money at the same time, Yeah, you know? But it's, me, I just want to focus on the patients and that's it. Yeah, it's really interesting because one of the very first osteo jobs I got was in a osteopathic clinic and saw this patient. Um, yeah, saw a patient a couple of times and the last one didn't really need treatment, just sat with them like you did for a few minutes, maybe five, 10 minutes, everything was fine. And I was like, okay, you know what, you're, you're good, off you go. Yeah. And okay. I was really lucky because the clinic I was at was very supportive. And so I okay. went to reception, I'm like, do not charge. And off you went. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I recognize sort of there's this ethical sort of um, boundary where you're like, I didn't do anything. I'm not going to charge you. You can go. Whereas in your situation, you know, it's very numbers driven. And, you know, your, your supervisor, your manager was like, you should have done some treatment to get, you know, to charge. Whereas I was lucky because the principal asked you was like, okay, cool. They didn't need it. They can go. Right. They will come there back if they ever need treatment. That's it, bro. That's the one. If they need they it, they didn't feel ripped off. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine I went to a seminar, right? So uh, there is a company, chiropractic and physiotherapy company called Hausa. They operate like in Maidenhead and everything. Really big uh, clinics. There's like five or six of them. And I went to one of uh, the CEO's uh, seminars, and he was like. Basically, baseline for all the patients is we want to get them on a 24 treatment plan, no matter what their issue is. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Like, you know, even my boss in the chiropractic clinic was trying to get me to sell these 24 treatment plans, but I couldn't because there was no passion in it. There was no reason, you know, because they didn't need it. And there was a conundrum where I was like, Okay, this guy clearly knows what he's talking about because he brings in uh, over five million pounds a year, his clinics, right? But it's his system, which I can't agree with, you know, where everyone should be on a 24 treatment plan. Why? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's uh, also something I had to consider as well. You know, if you want to be successful, you have to sacrifice. I don't know if you have to. You don't have to. But more than likely, you're going to have to think about <laughs> sacrificing patient-focused care, you know. Yeah, and so one of the things you talked about earlier was sort of you learned how to build a patient list. And it sounds like, you Mm. know, this really helped shape that thinking. So how were you able to build a patient list maybe in other clinics or other places you worked at? What what techniques did you use? What strategies did you use? Absolutely. Oh, there's so many. So 
uh, we should never, well, elephant in the room is word of mouth. They always say word of mouth is one of the best marketing tools. Um, so I always gave cards, you know, to people, um, like free consultation cards for family members if they booked in. Um, and that would be a good incentive to tell someone about it. All right. Uh, other one would be, you know, Facebook. Facebook, for our, for our generation, it's so dead, right? We don't really use Facebook that much, but people in their 40s, 50s, etc., they love it. <laughs> they, don't know, they don't know anything else, right? <laughs> so Facebook's still really relevant and important for that kind of demographic. Um, obviously, Twitter, Instagram, you know, the few of the videos you've seen as well um, has really helped too. Uh, but yeah, I would say once you get them in or attract new patients, uh, um, oh, a website is really important as well, right? Because, you know, people will judge you based on a website or if, if you're legit, surely you have a website sort of thing. Uh, I haven't made my own website yet because I was thinking of this transitional period into radiography, so I don't need to just yet. But I actually want to do uh, maybe sports massage or deep tissue when, when I'm allowed to uh, part-time. I mean, I'll still be able to use my osteopathy skills, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so thinking of social media then, like we always think like you've got to really push social media and, you know, um, people are there just, people want this information. They want to, to receive this information. And one of the conversations I was having with um, a friend of mine who is an osteo, I was like, well, I'm posting all this stuff on Instagram, yeah? But everyone who's liking the post or viewing the stories are other osteopaths. <laughs> What's the point in that? Uh, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's good, though, because the followers of the osteopath can see what they liked, right? So they have an opportunity to click on that profile as well. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because... It, that will gradually build up. You know, you can ask your current patients to follow you on Instagram um, and then you release some, a couple of stories here and there and then they might share that to their friend or something. Yeah. But I think what's really valuable on social media is if you post a video or a photograph but then post a link directing them to booking a treatment or inquiring about a treatment as well. Otherwise, they'll be just like, eh, you know, just keep on scrolling. <laughs> Absolutely. And so yeah. I think there's a there's there's definitely a place in, in, in advertising through social media, but I think you need to really look at it and look at your target demographic, like you said, like maybe post on Facebook for a certain demographic and Instagram for a, you know, a younger demographic, maybe because they're going to be more absolutely. Yeah. And it's about doing it smartly, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know, like one of the better, I don't know if you've come across elite osteo on Instagram. Mm -hmm but he basically does all this marketing through Instagram, you know, and he's really popular. He does like home visits, charges like 150 above for them as well and busy, right? So you can do it through Instagram, just Instagram if you wanted to. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. going to start following him now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what I was really excited about your story was that, you know, you obviously did this degree, you know, you worked in the industry. It's not like you didn't do it. And you found, you know, maybe this isn't for me and maybe this isn't for me right now. So right. that must have taken like a lot of courage then to go back and be like, okay, what is going to make me passionate? What is going to make me more interested in studying again? Because it's, it's another three years of your life. Let's be honest. It's not like, know, right? you know, it's not like a three month, you know, yeah. diploma or something. And extra added debt from student finance. <laughs> That's all, all, all of that I had to consider, man. But yeah, I'll, it got to the point, basically during COVID times, I wasn't working that much. I was maybe seeing, what, like two, three patients in a week, right? Because my parents were also concerned about me coming back to the house and potentially, because I had a, you know, my grandma there as well, right? No it's just, just an interesting, it's such an important story to tell, because I'm sure that there are other people either watching or listening that have had similar thoughts and either done what you've done or conversely, you know, been too scared to make that leap because right, right. I know I yeah. definitely had those thoughts and I'm only what a year maybe two years out okay. from graduating and yeah, I thought mentioned. is this something that I want to be doing for the rest of my life I don't right. know that. yeah I mean that's point? natural as well yeah it's natural to question it right when we're going through hard times 
uh, my turning point really was um, when I quit that chiropractor clinic, did my own home visits. But um, when I was doing the home visits, I realized, I asked myself, why am I only seeing two or three patients? And I figured it's because I sort of lost passion to try to build um, as much as I can. Then I, then I realized, well, I'm just sitting at home doing nothing with myself right now. And you know, I'm not mentally in a good place. So I thought, you know what, let's just do something about it. Sp spent the whole day on my laptop just researching loads of different things. Um, and yeah, in the end, I thought, fuck it, let's just go for it. <laughs> like, this, yeah. this, this course here, what I'm doing now, builds a spark in me. And I can see myself going to the top. Um, yeah. I just think that's amazing. There, really. And for those people who sort of are going through that sort of transition and, yeah. you know, are wanting to still genuinely do osteopathy, but are sort of yeah. looking at other things, what would you say was the most helpful for you? Was it to do both at the same time to make that clean break for yourself? Mm. Uh, for those who are still wanting to do osteopathy, yeah, and but still thinking about it, thinking about the thoughts of quitting are you saying yeah or maybe trying okay. something else that might sustain right. them for the rest of their life yeah it's an interesting one i would say it's always good to have your options open right so if you have the time why not do both and um, again if it's too much like I, I was listening to your interview with beth and you know she was mentioning the burnouts that she got from working that, that crazy hour and crazy hours. I've done that before as well, right? I had to work from like eight to nine p.m. And yeah, I agree. <laughs> it burns you out, and sometimes you just need that break to reevaluate if it's really what you want to do. Is you that osteopaths will always have a place in society because again, we're like uh, primary contact uh, healthcare professionals, and a lot of people come to us for their initial aches and pains, right? So if we can give them the correct advice, correct direction, that is so valuable. You know, so don't ever forget that guys, if you are uh, struggling, um, yeah, just find it in yourself, question yourself, do you still have that spark? Do you still have that passion to, you know, build and no matter how tired you get, you love it. <laughs> that, that's it's a hard one, isn't it? But it's, it's all about self-reflection really. Yeah. And especially when you look at sort of um, other people's profiles on social media and everyone's just loving life and loving a Monday morning. And I'm sad here thinking, I just want to go back to sleep right now. <laughs> I don't want to go into work on Monday morning. I'm tired. Yeah, I didn't sleep. I did like, you know, I had 12 patients the night before. Exactly. The Monday and, blues, eh? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a really important conversation to be having and putting out there in the osteopathic community and just anyone listening, really, that, you know, there are there are options, there are always other options. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, looking back on it, actually, I went into osteopathy, not even researching all of the other physical therapy professions. I didn't research sports therapy. I didn't research physiotherapy, right? And I regret that, <laughs> I do, yeah. because you need to look at your options, right? Um, especially if it's all very similar, you know? Um, if I, it's an interesting one because Claire Slater, who's an osteopath, previously a physio, I asked her, oh, should I do a physio degree? She was like, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> and simply because you don't have as much flexibility Right. But uh, I personally like the styles of physios where it's more rehabilitation advice based um, as opposed to um, as opposed to pure manual therapy is is an interesting one. Right. Because when a new patient books for osteopathy, they have this big expectation where you have to touch them. Right. If you don't touch them, they're going to be so pissed. <laughs> and that's where we as the practitioner have to tell them like you know set the expectations um manual therapy is this effective however you know it might only last a couple of days you have to do some rehab on top of that etc etc you know it's never a magic bullet and you know when you see those chiropractor videos on youtube you know and they exaggerate the hell out of it 
trying to make it as if it's a magic bullet, you know, infuriates me. <laughs> I think we've all seen very similar videos about that. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I interviewed um, an osteopath um, earlier in the series called Sebastian Hicks. And we okay. talked about sort of couch-based interventions to then loading tissue, either standing or, you know, through rehab and getting them off the couch and getting exactly, those tissues yeah. loaded. And it's, it's that transition that I'm really fascinated by. Right, um, right. To the point where I wanted to do a rehab master's at, um, is it St. Mary? I think it was at St. Mary's and then okay. everything happened and I couldn't get funding. So it was a big old like, okay, uh, well, right. that's just not going to happen right now. But that's where I'm going and that's where I'm interested in. That sounds really good. I mean, the fact that you do Pilates as well, such a good integration of things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely use it as a fallback because that's the rehab I know. I'm not a strength and conditioning coach. I'm not a personal trainer. I know Pilates really well. So everything yeah. I give is very Pilates based. Right, right. Which sucks if you it's don't like Pilates, but hey. <laughs> it helps, right? So suck it up, guys. <laughs> yeah. So having that dance background then, um, did that inform how you treated other dancers and what you, what style they used, how that strained or stressed certain parts of the body? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely helps in terms of uh, just giving advice and knowledge, right? So there's a type of hip hop called crump, right? I don't know if you guys come across it, but crump, what they do, they use a lot of arm motions and it's very, it's basically a lot of punches. And one of the moves is called a, I think it's called a snatch, where it's like this, right? But you can see what happens. There's that internal rotation of the arm while the arm's abducted already. And that causes so much stress on the supraspinatus tendon. Um, but not a lot of people know that, you know? Um, especially uh, one of my friends who was doing crump, and he was like, oh, I'm getting really bad shoulder pain. I'm like, what have you been doing? He's like, yeah, all of this stuff. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Once he stopped doing that, you know, and actually warmed up before doing that, it helped as well. So being in that position of knowing what the style is and knowing the anatomy, um, it does really help, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that stays with you. So even in your new degree, when they're going through anatomy, you're probably checking things off that you already know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was, it's fun being able to integrate, you know, your, your hobby with your knowledge and et cetera yeah. as well. And so would you have any sort of, if there are any sort of either students or new grads more so listening into this, would you have any advice on what you know, they should look for, what they should do, what, yeah, anything. Really. Okay, yes. So general advice is, well, times have changed. So my advice not be, might not be as applicable to you right now as it was for me like three, four years ago. But I would say just be okay with yourself. Uh, that will just help, you know, prevent anxiety building so much, right? Uh, when you are looking for a place, uh, you have to think about many factors, right? Do you like the people so far in your place? Because as you know, the people around the workplace is so important to you, right? Um, even though you're autonomous protectioner, it does matter. Um, in terms of the pay, you know, is it employed, self-employed? What's the percentage split? And are you happy with that? So you have to calculate what they're charging as well. So then you can calculate your own split. Um, you need to also ask them, how am I getting my patients? Do I have to start from scratch and build it? Or are you helping me? Really important question, right? Because um, if you are just starting from scratch from the get-go, it can be quite challenging to you know, build it up gradually. Um, again, I'm going to refer to Beth, like what she did, right? <laughs> she went employed first because of that stability. Yeah. So I, I say, yeah, I could recommend that because um, it will just help build you up as well. Uh, and whilst when you have free time, one of the most important skills I would say is to know how to build a business. I mean, how to attract new clients and retain them, right? Because those are essentially the markers any uh, clinical director will use based on your performance, unfortunately, right? It might not even be, if the patient got better or not. It's just how many times they're coming in, 
or you know uh, how much do they paid essentially you know which sucks but uh, yeah it's all down to you guys just as long as you are happy and it feels right with that certain clinic go for it you know there's so many opportunities um, I found my jobs through the Institute of Osteopathy, their, their little job, job search, uh, or indeed.co.uk. And that was yeah, really valuable for me. Yeah, anything else? Any advice? I don't think so. <laughs> no, really good points there. And I think a lot of it, you know, some of them they might know and some of it, you know, will be new. So it's always good to share. And that's the whole point of the series is to share information and Absolutely. learn from each other and learn from, you know, the, the stuff that we do well, learn from the stuff that we don't do well and mistakes that we make. But ultimately, you know, I think if we do this, we all rise as a profession together, even if you're no longer in the profession. I mean, God knows where right, I'm going to be exactly. in five years. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm sure you do well, man. Yeah. You're, you're on a trajectory for greatness. Ah, thanks. <laughs> well, you too. And I can't wait to have you back and talk more about radiography once you've done a bit more into it. And maybe yeah, you can absolutely. even help and lecture us. Who knows? Right. You never know. Actually, that, I think that'll be a really interesting experience coming back. How full circle would it be fun. if you came back to teach radiography at people? <laughs> no, that'd be awesome. How are you finding it teaching? Is, is it weird? Is it exciting? I love it. Um, oh. I really enjoy it. Like I remember, you know how we're in fourth year and we can go back to dissection. And so yeah. I did that the whole year. Writing a right. dissertation was not the best idea, but hey, but I really genuine, genuinely in love going back and, and teaching because it also made you relearn stuff that you had forgotten. Yes, absolutely. And so that yeah. whole process of just like rethinking, relearning, and then it's, you know, you can't teach it unless you know it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's really good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And it's all about giving back, isn't it? And we learn so much from giving back as well. Exactly. And it's, it's when, you know, somebody who's listening to you finally gets it or connects, you know, two things together. You think, okay, that's, that's my job done. That's what I wanted. Now yeah. go forth and pass it on to somebody else and <laughs> pay it forward, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I just want to thank you so much, you know, for coming on and spending your time and, and giving us another perspective that might, some people might not be exposed to. And I think that's what's really valuable and important about your story. So thank Absolutely. you. For that. Thank you for having me, Sylvan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh -huh. you know, I'm glad I can share my story because I don't think I would probably share it otherwise. <laughs> yeah. You know. great. great. And we'll see you back as a radiographer. That's going to be even more yes. exciting. Yes, sir. You will do. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>